If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. So good to see some alumni here tonight. Thank you for being here. And boy, we've had a good week already. Uh, we have looked at this idea of let's make a difference. Every time the preacher has gotten up to open the Word of God, and no doubt if we're going to let it make a difference this week, we're going to have to let God work through us in order for us to make a difference in others. Boy, whether it's fear, whether it's our walk of holiness, whether it's our walk of loving one another, as Brother Jeremiah preached so well this morning, and aren't you glad we serve a God who's faithful? And even though you're faced with that temptation, can I tell you, whew, he's faithful. So thank you for being here. And young people, let's just keep on doing what we've been doing. Amen? You've done a wonderful job all week of listening and responding and receiving what the Holy Spirit needs us to make in our lives. Well, 1 Peter chapter 5. Look with me in verse number 10. Look what your Bible says. The Bible says, but the God of all grace. I got to stop for a second. Did you let that soak in? You know, there's a lot of good definitions of grace, isn't there? I mean, you could say it's undeserving love. You could say it's unmerited favor. You could say it's Christ's riches or uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. You could say, Brother Surrett, you would always say, it's the positive things that you get that you do not deserve. Love it all, love it all. And those are all true. I remember when I was here, uh, Dr. Billy Martin came. If you've never met Dr. Millie Martin, you missed out, all right? Dr. Martin was a fountain of wisdom. He got up here one day, and he was preaching chapel, and he said, fellas, grace is divine enablement. That changed my life. That changed my life. You say, what? Grace is divine enablement. It's when God gives you an ability you don't have on your own. For instance, for by, what's the word, class? Grace, are you saved? I don't have in my own ability to deliver myself from my sin. But because of God's grace, that divine enablement, guess what? I'm a child of God. But look what your Bible says. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad one day we're going to see him and we're going to be like him? There's nobody here that deserves that. You realize that? There's nobody here that deserves to go to heaven. There's no one here that deserves a home in heaven. There's no one here that deserves to have a glorified body. But because of what Jesus did, who hath called us unto his eternal glory. Look at the next phrase. After that ye have suffered a while. How many of you here have ever wondered if you could like scratch out a phrase in the Bible? Man, if we could just take something out of the Bible, I'd be happy. Why? I don't like that phrase. I don't think you like that phrase. Why? Who likes to suffer? But notice what it says. But the God of all grace, 
who hath called us into his eternal glory, after that you've suffered a while, notice the next things, make you perfect, complete. Established, confirmed. Strengthened, confident. Settled you, calmed you. Now I like all those other things. I like the results of it, but I don't like the suffering of it. Now I find that in life, there are times that we suffer for two different reasons. We could say two different categories. There's sometimes, well, let's just be honest, that we're suffering because we've made bad choices. How many of you have ever done that before? Amen, I'll put both my hands up. You make a bad choice, guess what? You suffer. I could give you illustrations all night of my childhood of making bad choices. Quite entertaining. We could talk about it sometime over coffee. But then there's other times, can I tell you, sometimes we suffer because God's bringing a trial into our life. But here's the connecting point. What gets you through this suffering for whatever reason you're suffering is God's grace. And tonight, though you can't earn grace, though you can't buy grace, though you need grace, tonight I'm going to show you how to find grace. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Isn't it interesting in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 8, but Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. Tonight, I'd like to preach a message entitled, How to Find Grace. But before we get started, can we ask God to give us a hand? Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, and we need it. We need it. Lord, we need your grace in our lives. We cannot make it on here on this earth. We can't live for you. Lord, we can't go to heaven. We can't do anything without it. So, Father, Though we can't buy it, though we can't earn it, Lord, we definitely need it. Lord, would you help us find it? And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you're going to do here in the invitation time. In Jesus, my precious Savior's name, amen. I love what Brother Clark said this morning when he said the most important phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13 was simply this, God is faithful. Brother Beal mentioned it, and boy, it rang in my heart. You say, well, why is that so important? Because he is faithful in giving grace. What I'm going to show you tonight is how to find it. Now, once again, you can't earn it. That's why it's unmerited favor, okay? You can't buy it. I wish you could. I'd go to Walmart and buy a whole skid full of it. But you can't buy it. But you definitely need it. And I'd like to show you tonight how to find it. You say, well, how do I find grace? Well, look with me in this wonderful chapter. Back up in verse number six. Would you find with me? Would you go up? Would you raise your eyes to verse number six? Look what your Bible says in verse number six. It simply says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he, God, may exalt you in due time. Number one. 
The first way that you're going to have to take in your life, if you're ever going to find grace, you don't earn it, you can't buy it, you definitely need it, but you can find it, is number one, by humbling yourself. Now, we would all say, oh, preacher, I know. We hear this all the time. But you know what's amazing about the opposite of humility? That thing called pride. I tell you what, it's terrible. Matter of fact, put your finger here, put your finger here, and go with me to the book of Proverbs real quick. Real quick, I want you to see what your Bible says about this thing called pride. Now, we know it's the opposite of humility. We're either going to live in pride or we're going to live in a humble way. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 6. Look with me in verse number, uh, chapter 6, verse number 16. Just to start, okay? We're going to peruse quickly. we got a lot to talk about here tonight. Look what your Bible says in verse number 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are abomination to him. Okay, so the Bible's about to give us the top seven that God cannot stand. Now get that. The top seven that he cannot stand. Now if we weren't students of the word of God, what would you come up with? Probably some grave sin that you think is really bad, okay? But it doesn't really matter what you think. What matters is what God thinks. Look at verse 17. The very first one out of the box says what, class? A proud what? So when I decide that I'm going to have the improper view of myself, by the way, that's what it's all about. And I'm going to lift myself up. Watch what happens. I live in this thing called pride. Now stop, stop. If you don't think it's that bad, by the way, by the way, can I tell you? This is the sin that is acceptable in our pulpits. And if it's acceptable in our pulpits, get it, it's going to be acceptable in the pew. But do you understand when God attaches this sin, do you know what he says? It's an abomination. Brother Hanky, there is in the Old Testament a sin that is associated with an abomination. It's called homosexuality. It's an abomination. You see, in our eyes, pride isn't that big of a deal. You say, why? Because we can look at certain people and we'll say, oh, that person's full of themselves. Oh, that person is exalting themselves. Oh, that person is this. That person is that. And get it, we almost act as if it's not a problem for us. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a problem for you. It's a problem for me. And get what God says. He cannot stand the scent of it. Being in evangelism, there's times where we go on the road, especially early on, we'd be on the road for like 12 weeks, three months at a time. And so we had a freezer, a deep freezer in our garage. And so we came back from tour, and Brother Beal, it was one of those times where, you know, you just wanted a home-cooked meal. For all of us that have traveled, you know what I'm talking about, all right? You're tired of eating out, all right? Just let's cook a good home-cooked meal. So I said, hey, baby, let's get some of them steaks out of the freezer. She's like, oh, that sounds great. And so, man, I went to the freezer. Unbeknownst to me, the freezer had died. 
Now, in Chicago, we can get all kinds of crazy temperatures. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can get, like, to uh, Monday, high, negative two, all right? We're, hey, it's going to be a nice warm day on Monday, all right? But in the summer, in August, hey, it can get 90, 100 degrees. I think it was about 90 degrees that day. And uh, so I was hungry for a steak. And I was looking forward to a steak. And I went to the garage. I opened that deep freeze without even thinking, hey, maybe this thing's broke. And I opened up the door and stuck my head all the way in the freezer. I couldn't get out of that freezer quick enough. <laughs> Rotten meat at 90 degrees in the garage does not smell good. And man, I got out of there and said, oh, that is terrible. Get the, oh, where's that? I'm sorry. I made her, oh man. Okay, we'll try and get over it here. Anyways, I was trying to get that scent out of my nostrils because it was horrid. Can I tell you, every time we live our life, it's like God opened the freezer. It always smells as rotten meat. Oh, oh. And somehow, listen, somehow, because we're in Bible college, because we got the certain hairdo, because our shoes are polished, we've achieved greatness. Hey, can I tell you? All that is is pride. And to my God, can I tell you? It's like rotten meat in his sight. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. Look with me down at verse 13. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 13. Look what your Bible says. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Did you get the word? Now, I've been very good this week, and I've tried to stick to preaching, amen. But as an Ohio State Buckeye fan, there are certain things that we don't like, okay? There's just some things that we kind of like hate, you know what I'm saying? We're not going to bring it up any more than that. But I know that feeling. Just a, the, the, the inside just doesn't work real well. You know, that, that game's a tough game. You know what I'm saying? You just hate it. Nothing good about it. Now watch. The Lord says, if you fear me, nothing good about it. Matter of fact, you even put X's on that letter. Because you don't want that anywhere to be around what is it what are the sins that if you fear the Lord you hate notice the word look what he says in verse 13 very first one class wow crazy isn't it how is it that God has this hatred so much that he says, if you allow pride in your life in any shape, any size, any face, any form, get it. 
I don't care what college you go to. You don't fear me. It's crazy, isn't it? Because we look around and we're like, well, we're not as bad as so-and-so. Can I tell you all that is? Is the devil having a little edge, a little toe stop, a little rock in the door that is allowing him, watch this, to get you distracted. But more than that, you say, what is it? Well, turn with me to chapter 13, verse 10. Look what your Bible says in chapter verse 13, verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention. How many of you have ever lived with a know-it-all? You know what the problem is with living with a know-it-all? They know it all. Right? You, you try. You try. And you're like, now listen, listen. It's as if Jesus came and told them. They'd be like, no, 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 no. That's not right, Jesus, you know. You're like, you don't get it. I can prove it to you. Everybody else can prove it to you. But only by pride come a contention. Look what your Bible says. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 25. Look what your Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse 25. The Bible says, the Lord will destroy the house of the what? Now stop, 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 stop. How many of you believe the Bible's true? Raise your hand, raise your hand, nice and high. Everybody's hand ought to be in the air, amen? Did you just read? Did you just follow what I read? The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. See, I'm not making this stuff up. It's not like I'm saying, well, I just don't like people that are full of pride. I, I'm not saying that. What I'm giving you is truth. Get this. And if we don't apply truth to our lives, guess what happens? We miss out on the grace that we need. Go back with me to 1 Peter. We could have gone deeper, but time's slipping away. Go back with me to 1 Peter because I want to show you something. Look with me back in verse number 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 5. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with, what's the word? Humility. Why? Why do I need to be clothed with humility? Look what your Bible says. For God resisteth the proud. Can I say it this way? Talk to the hand. Now get it, get it. You can go through the scriptures and you can find a correlation between suffering and grace, okay? Hebrews chapter two, verse number nine. Hebrews chapter four, verse number 16. There's a direct connection between when you're going through difficult times, God says, hey, I've got the grace you need. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was there and he prayed thrice that God would remove the thorn from inside. And what did he say, class? My grace is what? Get it. All you need is my grace. You don't need the thorn removed. Now, in my carnality, you know what I pray for? Lord, take the thorn away. Lord, I don't like the thorn. It hurts. But listen, 
God says, I'm not taking the thorn away, but watch this. I'm going to give you something so much better. Here it is, my grace. Matter of fact, he proceeds to say, in your weakness, you can get my power. And that's why Paul's response is, I most gladly, therefore, rejoice in my he didn't like the thorn then. He wasn't like, yeah, I love having the thorn. No, but he realized, watch this, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Hey, can I tell you? Pride creeps in our lives unaware. It can go just like that. We can be serving the Lord, doing it for the right reason, and all of a sudden, the old sin nature kicks in. And now it's for vainglory. It's for self-exaltation. It's for uh, thinking, hey, by the way, most of the time, the reason why we become proud or prideful is because we want to exalt ourselves. Now, isn't this interesting? Go back with me to verse number six. Look what your Bible says in verse number six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he, now, class, you're smart enough here. What is the antecedent of the pronoun he? Is it you or God, class? Now get that. So you gotta make a choice. Do you wanna keep exalting yourself? How you doing? You know, I find that when I try to lift myself up, here's what happens. I fall down. How I many know what I'm talking about? But listen to your Bible. The Bible says, when I decide to humble myself, you know what he's going to do? He's going to lift me up. Last time I checked, he's a little stronger than you are. Last time I checked, he's got a little more knowledge than you do. Last time I got checked, I think he knows the beginning from the end. So why in the world are you doing it for yourself? When he says, I got you. You don't need to do this. And you know what's so crazy? Is that when we live that way, when we live in a way that we're trying to exalt ourselves, can I tell you what happens? We can't find grace. Number two. Not only do we have to humble ourselves, go back with me to verse number five because we passed up something that's very important. He says in verse number five, he says, likewise, you youngers, younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Number two, if we're ever gonna find grace, now get it, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You definitely need it. But here's how to find it. So we're gonna humble ourselves. Number two, we're gonna submit ourselves. Now, I found this. This isn't something that is natural. Now, all you guys in there think that you're great theologians. You're probably thinking, yeah, this is for that woman that I'm going to marry one day. Ephesians 5 passage right there, verse 22. Woman, submit yourselves to me. At least that's your interpretation of it. Little do you know, because you haven't read the whole chapter, Verse 21. You want to hear what 21 says? 
before we even get to 22 to 33, which is the marriage manual in life, okay? You know what 21 says? Get this, get this. Not written just to men, not written to just women. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Let me tell you what it means. It means this. Guys, you need to be willing to do what God tells you for your wife. Ladies, you need to be willing to do what God tells you for your husband. That's what it means. So it means, get this, it's not what you're doing now. That's the problem. See, if you were doing everything properly, it wouldn't be a problem. But you don't because you're a sinner. Deep, huh? Man. Brother Jake told me I was a sinner tonight. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? We're all sinners last time I checked. So what does that mean? That means we don't want to do what God tells us to do. That's what that means. Matter of fact, turn with me just over a page, would you? To 1 Peter chapter 2. I love this portion of scripture because in 1 Peter chapter 2, Actually, chapter 3, verse number 1, you'll see the very first word of chapter 3, verse 1. Let's say it together, class. What is the very first word of chapter 3, verse 1? Class? All right, stop, stop. If you're a student of the Word of God, that means they're making a comparison. Now, ladies, if you don't understand the word likewise, it's a struggle. Okay? Because if you don't understand chapter 2 and why the likewise is there, hey, can I tell you, it's a real struggle. Fellas, if you don't understand chapter 2, when you get to verse number 7 and you got that same word likewise, hey, it's a struggle. But in order to understand the word likewise, you've got to go back in the chapter, to chapter 2, and look with me in verse 18 because he starts describing what he's comparing. There's a comparison going here and he's trying to give it to you so that you understand the idea of submission. Look what your Bible says in verse 18. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Look at verse number 19. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Now get what he's saying. Hey, when people are treating you well, awesome. You're willing to submit. You're willing to come under the ranks or the authority. But when people, get this, treat you wrong. How many of you know what it is to be mistreated? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that happens in the dorms. You say, Brother Jake, you never lived in a dorm. You're right. But I got four kids that lived in a trailer. It's just like living in a dorm. <laughs> Hello? And sometimes it, they got mistreated. One of them like, hey, Dad! You know how it goes? And they would blame someone for doing something that they didn't do, but they didn't want to get in trouble for it. So they just pushed the blame. Get it? And they had to suffer wrongfully. Now look what your Bible says. Look what your Bible says. It says in verse number 20, for what glory is it 
if when ye be buffeted uh, for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is accepted. Hey, if you've done something wrong and you're facing the consequences for it, hey, what are, you, what are we talking about? Why are we even talking? But if you do right and suffer for it, hey, you know what the Bible says? It's noted by God. Wow. We'll keep reading. He says in verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for, next word, class. Uh, uh, uh. Put your name in there. See, sometimes I think we learn theology broad sense. Christ died for us. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you know who the us is? Christ also suffered me. See, it's pretty sad, isn't it? Christ didn't do anything wrong. I'm the one. He took my place. I should have went to the cross. I should die and spend eternity in hell. I should pay for my sin. But watch what he does. Christ suffered for me. Notice why? Verse 21. Leaving us and, what's the word, class? That ye should follow his steps. Get that, get that. Christ could have called 12 legions of angels. Remember that in Matthew chapter 26? He could have snapped his finger. But what did he do? He submitted to the authorities that were in his life. Pilate? Really? Jesus, you're way above Pilate. The Roman, the priest, the high priest, you're way above that, Jesus. But watch what he does. He's willing to submit to those authorities in his life. Can I tell you? Nobody likes being told what to do. You didn't like it when you were two. You didn't like it when you're 12. You don't like it at 22. You're not going to like it at 32. You're not going to like it at 52. Get that. But you know what the problem with not living a submissive life? You can't find grace. You can't find grace. See, you can't make it without. But if you'll decide, hey, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to submit myself, get this, you can find that God of all grace. Let me give you number three. Go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse number 7. 1 Peter 
chapter five, verse number seven. It says this, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So we said in order to find grace, though we can't buy it, we don't deserve it, we definitely need it, here's how you can find it. Humble yourself, submit yourself, but get number three, place yourself. Place yourself. You know, I struggled with this verse for a long time. I, I thought, well, I'm going to give my burden, my care, my anxiety, my fear to the Lord. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to cast it and it's going to go away. That's what I thought for a long time. And boy, it always puzzled me because I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it always comes back. So I struggled with it because I, I thought, well, maybe I'm not casting it far enough. Maybe I just need to throw it a little farther and maybe then it'll go away. Well, that's not what this verse means at all. Matter of fact, this verse tells us that that care, that burden, that anxiety that you have, get this, is heavy. And that watch, it's a burden. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to take that burden, that anxiety, that care, get this, and I want you to no longer try to get rid of it. Isn't that interesting? But instead, here's what I want. I want you to place it on him. You see what he's talking about? I'm a tile setter by trade, and let's say that we were going to the job and you were working for me, okay? Well, every 3,000 feet is a skid of mortar, okay? So if you were, you were to come work with me and we had a 10,000-square-foot job and we were going to set tile on that, it would be three skids of mortar. Well, mortar's about 50 pounds a bag, and there's 56 bags on a skid. And so you're feeling like pretty strong that day, and you're like, you know what? Hey, Brother Jake, I'm going to go ahead and start bringing these bags in and bring them to the job. I'm like, great, that's what I pay you for. And so sure enough, you start, and you're like, you know, I'm feeling pretty strong. And so here's what you do. You put a one on this arm and one on this arm. And you're like, hey, I could do that. And then the next one, you're like, I'm feeling pretty strong. I'm going to double it up. So I got two on this arm, two on this arm. Man, you're trucking, you're trucking, you're trucking. And about 30 minutes later, it's about usually all they last, Come in and like, but Jay, I don't know what's wrong, but my shoulders are killing me. I feel like they're on fire. But Jake, what should I do? And I'm like, yeah, they should be on fire. Okay, that's like 200 pounds on your shoulder, and you're going up steps. That's that's pretty tough. And I say, hey, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I said, over here in the closet over here, let me pull out this thing. He said, what's your best thing? What's that thing? Mr. D, what's that thing? It's called a wheelbarrow. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome. Here's what you're going to do. You've got approximately 10 bags done. 
That means there's 146 more bags to go, okay? What you're going to do is you're going to take that bag. Matter of fact, you could take all four. You're going to put them in the wheelbarrow. Now get this. This is going to be really cool. You're going to pick it up by the handles, and get it, you're going to push it all the way to where it belongs. You're going to say, Mr. D, why didn't you tell me that earlier? Because I like to see you hurt. <laughs> it's a rookie thing, man. It's awesome. They do it all the time. But get it, get it. Spiritually speaking, that's exactly what we do. We take this burden on us and we say, well, Lord, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. I just can't do it any longer. And he says, hey, why don't you use the wheelbarrow I give you? Why don't you put it on me? Why don't you let me carry it? Now get it, get it. The wheelbarrow stays attached to you. If it doesn't, you're not moving, okay? Those bags don't go by themselves. You still got to put them in the wheelbarrow and you still got to push. But you know what's amazing? How you can get it done. You can finish the job. Why? Get it. Because of the wheelbarrow. The weight does not change. It's the same. But spiritually speaking, can I tell you, we suffer and we try to do it on our own. And you're at bag number 12 and you got 150 more to go and all you can feel is the pain of the suffering, whether it's because of bad choices or God bringing this trial in your life and you are just about done and you can't make it much longer. Matter of fact, look at verse 8. You ever wonder why verse 8 is in 2 Peter chapter 5? Anyone seem to know this verse? Anyone ever hear anyone preach from this verse? Something about a roaring lion. See, listen, listen. When you're carrying the weight, you know what you are? Easy prey. And the devil is just waiting for you to keep putting the weight on yourself. Because when you're carrying all the weight of the suffering in your life, can I tell you this? You haven't placed yourself onto Jesus Christ and what he wants to carry you through and you are trying to do it and the devil's like, hey, easy pray. I can kill this one. And how many people that once sat at Ambassador Baptist College and opening revival have been carrying the weight of their lives and they're trying to get through and they can't go another step and the devil's just about to pounce on them. And by the way, you know what's amazing about the devil? He's not there to help you. In verse eight, say something about devouring. Devouring's got no Indication, indication that that's to help. Matter of fact, if you look it up, it means to destroy. And why does he destroy? It's simple. Because you've decided not to use the whale barrel. He says, casting all your care upon him. Hey, the weight doesn't go away, but it's the place that you put the weight changes. And can I tell you, it changes everything. Why? Because that's where you find grace. That's where he says we can do this. 
You say, well, preacher, I've messed up. He's real good at it. He's got a lot of experience of fixing broken things. He can fix you. But you know what you got to do? You got to place yourself on him. You want to know why we don't? We think we can do it. Hey, I'll be all right. I'll be fine, brother love. I, I've been through this before. I'll make it. Can I tell you? You just spin. And never see what God intended for you to have in your life. How many growing up ever got a Christmas present and after you opened it, you needed batteries. And I, I remember that as a kid. I don't know why my parents never thought of the batteries. I'm trying not to be better, Karis, but I was. Boy, when I started giving gifts to my kids, you know what I did? And Tony, I, I said, baby, get the batteries. Nothing worse than opening your presents on Christmas and not being able to play with them <laughs> because there's no batteries. They're like four bucks. Well, today they're 14, but back then they were cheap. <laughs> I said, baby, get the batteries. Put them in their stocking, wrap them, I don't care, but just make sure we got batteries because Christmas Day, I want to play with them. <laughs> you know what God's grace is? Batteries included. It's all you need. And can I tell you? You want to find that grace? Humble yourself. Submit yourself. Can I tell you this? Place yourself. Lay it on. He's got unlimited weight that he can hold. Why? Casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Would you bow with me?